This is the Calculated Discomfort Podcast. Episode 1, Musical Accents. I'm your host, Tommy Carroll. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the show. Today, we are going to be diving into our first topic that is definitely one of great discomfort, and that is what I'm calling musical accents. Now, for all you musicians out there, no, I'm not talking about which note in a group to play the loudest, or as we call it, where to put the accent. I'm talking about something a little bit different, and that is, generally speaking... How does where we are from, both geographically and culturally, affect the way that we play music? So, spoiler alert, yep, we are going to be talking about everybody's favorite topic of cultural appropriation, which is something I think about constantly as someone who loves studying music and studying society, and also as a white musician in America who wants to be making art responsibly. But this won't be an episode where I run through a bunch of semantics and try to say this is this, this is that. There's plenty of people who do great work in that area, and I think it's super important to have those discussions. I'm more going to take the path of running through some of my experiences working with people from different cultural backgrounds and some of the reflecting I've done on my own art, and hopefully kind of get in a way of thinking about this kind of thing that isn't just putting up a bunch of rules, but no good guidebook for how to follow them. We live in such an interconnected society, at least in some ways, that I really think no matter where you're from, it's kind of impossible not to have some influences from cultures other than your own. And there's a lot of implications, both good and bad, that come along with that. So without further ado, let's dive in and talk about some of the fine lines that exist between theft and collaboration and authenticity and innovation. So this is a really hard topic, right? I mean, we already skipped over something really big that you may or may not have noticed, and that is on the intro music, which is an old track of mine from the Elementary Foreign Languages series that I did. I'm playing ocarina, which is an indigenous American instrument, and right now, as I'm recording this, it's actually Indigenous People's Day, October 12th. Um, shout out to the Potawatomi people on whose land I am recording this episode and generally do most of my work. So it's complicated. I mean, the cultural situation we find ourselves in as Americans or people living in America is pretty intense. On one hand, you know, the history of the nation is that of molding the world in its image at the expense of other local cultures. But on the other hand, 
here, right in our very own neighborhoods, we have so many wonderful, vibrant cultures that have existed despite rough conditions. You know, Mexican-American culture is different from Mexican culture. Jamaican-American culture is different from Jamaican culture. And that's not good, bad, or anything else. It's just super interesting and super beautiful to me, especially when it comes to the music. So where does that leave us? You know, it's easy for me to say, oh, I love that culture. It has great music and food, but still not totally understand how to engage with the people coming from that culture to really build community, build a more inclusive society or whatever you call it. Now, how do we get to that point? I don't know. I definitely don't have the answers. But what I do think is that when treated with a conscious mindset, these objects of culture, such as songs and stories, can be a very strong first step or building block to building the relationships that we need to build to actually have the inclusive, vibrant, enjoyable society among all people that we want. And as musicians, I think there are ways we can think about this in a way that allows us to participate in building something that's more inclusive while avoiding doing something like taking something that you heard in a different style of music and calling it your own and getting all the credit that we've heard so much about. So I'm going to start this off by just playing one of my old tracks. It's called Costa to Entebbe. It's from Elementary Foreign Languages Volume 1, which is the first solo recording project I ever put out. I'm just going to give it a play, and then I'm going to come back and just talk to you about how this pertains to some of these issues. this track? Well, first of all, it's me playing all the instruments, a couple shakers, a couple congas, which are more associated with salsa music and sometimes funk, kind of tuned down to sound more like quote-unquote West African drums. And I'm also playing a jill, which is a 
West African, um, primarily from the region that we know as Ghana, xylophone. Is it authentic? Most certainly not. I took a little bit of West African percussion lessons, did a lot of listening, and kind of just did my own thing. This is definitely coming from a place of I have these sounds in my head. They're inspired by these more traditional rhythms, but I personally don't know many traditional West African rhythms from any of the numerous cultures and tribes and sub-tribes and stuff out there. There's so much. It goes so deep. I wouldn't know how to start playing with them if I just had a drum and was invited to participate in a ceremony. I would play something. Maybe I could pick it up with my ear, but there are slight variations that are super important that my ear does not know. Could I learn to do it and sound quote-unquote authentic? I don't know. That's the big question. That's where we get into musical accents. You know, I think in like the jazz conservatory setting, you know, the, the big fear of fellow white musicians is like, can I ever sound like a black musician? And it's such a weird question. And I don't know how desirable it is. I think it's it's important. It's It's necessary to revere the great black American artistry, the great African innovations in musical technology. I mean, using the drums to communicate over miles, that's that's brilliant, like a thousand years ago. Is it are do should we be trying to replicate that sound? I, I personally don't think so. I mean if you listen to my art, I don't try to replicate things. I think when we do use those elements, we need to pay homage to it though. When I when I if I were to play a piece like this Costa to Entebbe, which by the way the story of this piece is a thirteen hour bus ride back to the Ugandan airport, pretty much across town, feeling super car sick the whole time, bumpy roads, traffic in the capital of Kampala. We made it. When I perform anything like that live, I definitely want to make sure that people know where these influences are coming from. I, I do. If I were seen as like, oh, he uses this interesting small xylophone thing that he came up with, that would be bad. And a lot of white artists have done that. But getting back to the point of accents, even if I were to, let's say, go to Mali and study with one of their great storyteller, deep heritage musicians... Maybe I could get super close. And I think, you know, I think if you have enough time, you can probably figure anything out. But that's not going to take all the rock music, all the jazz, all the funk, all the reggae, all the everything, all the, the, the pop radio trash that I've heard in my life. And some of that pop radio trash I do like a lot. It's never going to take that out of my head. And I don't know if I could ever will that out of me without really trying to transform who I am, which I don't think is a great thing to do as a musician. I think learning different languages is incredible. It's my, one of my favorite things to do musically. Uh, I wish I could do it, spend more time on learning other spoken languages as well. But, uh, you know, my American Midwestern Chicago guy, no, I'm definitely not a Chicago guy. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a suburb, suburb boy, but that's never going to fully leave, I don't think. And I'm personally okay with it. I think I, I've played with rappers and hip-hop DJs, and I've also played with country singers, and I've played with 
people of uh, Latino descent and Latinx descent and, and all that. And I think I, I personally feel and that no matter what setting I've been in, the the best ones have been when everybody is trying to be themselves. Like, granted, yeah, if I'm on like playing with some salsa musicians, I'm willing to let them yell at me like, yo, you got to play the cowbell pattern this way. Like, that's your prerogative. Like, I, I think there there also is this fine line of like, Oh, like, and I think, I think a lot of white experimental musicians do this and like, well, I'm just like experimental. So I don't like follow any of the rules and coming in. And I think when we play music together, we are consenting to a ritual. So you've got to respect it. But I think that to me, a lot of the most rewarding musical situations as a listener and a player are those where people are just conversing as they would on the street. Like I live in Rogers park in Chicago and there's a lot of immigrant communities. There's also a lot of like wealthy white folks that have, his families have been around uh, the neighborhood for quite some time. Um, big Irish Catholic long time seen up here by Loyola university and stuff. And I think it's, it's so weird, you know, in conversation when you see like a white person all of a sudden like start switching up how they speak when they're talking to a black person like trying to use slang and i i will be honest i have been guilty of that in the past um but also sometimes some of the slang that's coming to me from hanging around friends who either have tidbits of other languages that are just kind of in their normal vernacular or just normal black american vernacular i mean it's all influenced us i mean you can't help it with popular media, I mean, most of the most popular slang is just black American slang five years later that white people now feel safe using. But the point being, I think it's okay to be influenced by something and realize, Hey, you can't copy it, but it's still going to influence who you are. Like if I grew up in like somewhere in New York and like the Bronx or something, but was who I am exactly socioeconomically, whatever, I would still probably I would I would probably speak and play differently than I do now just because of the environment. Um I think environment is very important too. I think like, you know, just one example somewhere I love to visit New Orleans, incredible live music city. I really do think that a little bit of the laid back nature that's more of like a the personal thing, like between people, but also just the kind of swampy air kind of flows into that music and the way it just kind of organically flows. Whereas in New York, everybody's, you know, super urban. Everybody's playing tight, fast, loud, industrial, you know? So I think we have all these thing, these aspects of place that imbue what we do. And I think to try to rid ourselves of that is, just trying to make us ununique. And I think we also should be accepting when people sound differently and appreciate what they bring differently and how they can be held, you know, together in the same space. And that's exactly what led me to do the original calculated discomfort sessions. Like, man, I got all these people who play in different scenarios around town. Granted, most of the musicians on Calculated Discomfort were white Americans, not exclusively, but it's still predominantly on my recordings. I have to admit that, you know, people are generally coming from a similar institutional background, whether or not they have a music degree. But I want to get people who 
we're used to playing in a more rock and roll setting and more of a jazz setting and more of like a new classical music setting where you're reading from music and see how we improvise together. And the next track that I'm going to play is from that. It's called Letting Go to Grow. And it relates to the original track, Costa to Entebbe, in that I took that feeling of the African rhythm but didn't even worry about orchestrating it in the same way or anything. Um, just said, hey, this is the kind of feel for our groove. Let's play what you think is appropriate. And I think, yeah, some of the parts like the bass line are evocative of Afrobeat and things that exist. But the overall aesthetic of the track is one of combined musicians listening and contributing what they feel that they can tr contribute to the moment. It's very meditative, um, but I'm still playing that kind of rolling African feel, albeit v much quieter. So I think this is an example of where I was really influenced by the same thing, but just totally expressing it in a different way, but I still think it maintains my own musical accent. So this is Letting Go to Grow from Calculated Discomfort. Thank you. 
That was, once again, Letting Go to Grow from my album Calculated Discomfort. I think in summary for today's episode, I know it was very high level. These are just some of the ways you can look at this idea of musical accents, but I think what I want to leave you with is share, don't steal. I think we're beyond the point of being able to say, oh, I'm only influenced by these one, two, or even three things. And I think by pretending otherwise, we're just being harmful. Like if you say, oh, I only do this kind of music because this is where I'm from, I think we just get more and more closed off. And, you know, maybe if you live in a small community or something and you only have one type of music and that's what, you know, all your local ceremonies are about, that's awesome. You know, if you just, you know, in a small town and, you know, you're, it's, you're attached to this kind of music and it's not hurting anybody or advocating something bad. You don't need to be eclectic either. But I think as a modern working musician, you know, we just can't turn away these influences. And I think embracing that while also paying respect to where it comes from is super important. And at the same time as that, when you're respecting and revering something, don't also don't sell yourself short. You... We all are a very interesting confluence of things that we've heard and thought and been told and, you know, even stuff that we've rejected. You know, I think if there's an idea that you used to believe and you got rid of it, whether that's like a musical thing, like, oh, I only play loud and like, oh, dynamics are actually kind of cool or like, I think this, people shouldn't do this. Then you realize, oh, they do it because that's what they have to. You know, I think those are also important parts of us. So I think just finding ways to be ourselves in our music while acknowledging how we became ourselves. You know, if you had somebody who's Latino in your life and they taught you something and that enters your song, just give them a shout out. You know, let them know where they were coming from and why they brought that to you and what that was that was meaningful. Because I think if we don't do that, if we just play a bunch of eclectic stuff and don't say where it comes from, we're kind of giving up the one power we have as musicians to show that things can at least coexist. You know, I think in terms of getting people all the money, food, and housing they need, at least in in this country, I think a lot of those solutions are way beyond music. But like I said at the very beginning, culture is a first building block. It can kind of be a little bit of extra glue to stop stuff from falling apart. So I think... Rather than commodifying certain ways of being, I think finding ways that we can just be ourselves and creating the sound of our environment. Every environment needs a soundtrack. Not every environment is recognized for having a soundtrack. So in going forward, I'd just like you to think about that. And if you have any thoughts on these issues where you think I had a great idea, where you think I had a terrible offensive idea, please let me know. Shoot me a message on social media email. And by the way, if you're listening and you don't know, I just launched a new website at tcdrums.com. It's totally revamped. And for those who support the show, who enjoy this show and want it to keep coming, or if you enjoy my music and want it to keep coming, you can now sign up for a monthly or yearly membership and get a bunch of unreleased stuff, tracks, live concerts, going to be releasing a second album of Calculated Discomfort session material that is just for people who sign up that's at tcdrums.com uh check it out spend a lot of time on it otherwise i will see you back here
in a couple weeks with another episode where I'm going to be diving into some issues more pertaining to something that's near and dear to me, and that is disability culture and how music plays into that. I kind of did not touch on that as much during this episode. I wanted to kind of give it its own once-over. And yeah, I'm just going to leave you tying things together with a track I just released during quarantine called Fargo Beach, and I think what is cool about this is it's still kind of playing on my the African and Afro-Cuban music I love. Um, I feel like it was a melody I wrote based on other music I loved hearing in Chicago. I think this song, Frogger Beach, is kind of me mashing a bunch of my Chicago and world music influence to, together into something that I think it's a simple song. I don't know if it's the best song I've ever written, but it's just something that I... It was a sound environment I had in my head. So I hope you enjoy Fargo Beach. I'll catch you all next time. Thank you for listening to the Calculated Discomfort Podcast.